0: Recycling Today magazine. Welcome to the Fresh Perspective podcast. I'm here today with Jake Bronstein, who is the owner of Merrillville Metal Recycling in Merrillville, Indiana. Jake started the company about one year ago as a full-service scrap metal company that's dedicated to servicing commercial and industrial scrap metal generators. Before starting the company, he worked for Maine Scrap Metal for about a year. As some fun facts, Jake says that when he's not working in the scrap industry, he spends some time with his family on Sundays. He mentors other young adults. He enjoys hot yoga, hiking, traveling, and eating. So thanks for coming on the show today, Jake. How are you doing?
1: I'm doing well. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it.
0: So to start things off, you mentioned to me before we hopped on the podcast here that you first learned about the scrap industry when you were 13 or so through General Iron. So Could you tell me a little bit more about that experience and what made you think that the scrap industry would work as a career for you?
1: Yeah, that's, uh, yeah. So when I was uh, 13 years old, uh, my parents bought at an auction a day at at General Iron. And that uh, that was a great experience for me being that it gave me my first exposure to the business and I was like a kid in a candy store and there were so many moving parts. There was awesome equipment. It looked like organized chaos and I just remember being in the material handler cab with with Adam Labcon, who's one of the owners at General Iron, who I still have a relationship with today and that I do business with, thinking like, wow, this is really something I would want to do. and. And for some reason, I had the idea in the back of my head that I would be good at it. Just kind of the naivety, I think, of a 13 year old. Uh, but being in the Jewish community in Chicago, we knew others uh, within our network that were in the scrap metal business that seemed to do well and, and enjoy it. And, uh, and it was just, uh, just had some exposure.
0: Got it. And what was your first job in the scrap industry once, you know, you're out of school and everything? And what were some things that you learned from that experience?
1: Yeah. So my real first job was with Main Scrap Metal out of Des Plaines, Illinois. And, and they had a couple other yards in Milwaukee, but really the main focus was in Des Plaines, Illinois. And I worked for a gentleman uh, named Bobby Katz. And Bobby Katz came from a you know a history of scrap metal recyclers. His father was in the business, his uncles were in the business. Uh, he worked for a number of years at Keywell, which was one of the largest stainless steel processors and traders in the world. So he had a great knowledge on nickel ferro alloys and, and superalloys alloys and, and uh, was just really a, an encyclopedia when it came to scrap. And so I got introduced to Bobby Cass because my, his brother growing up was my neighbor. You know, just following that, that dream, that idea when I was 13, I had this introduction and this, in this way to work at Maine Scrap Metal. And really my job was like a traditional apprenticeship, uh, which is something that you don't really see anymore, which is which is a shame. You see more in Europe, but not that, but not here. And I think apprenticeship is especially within this business is so important because if you're really going to be great, you ha- really have to understand how things work. If you're going to fix it and modify it, and make iterations and make it better. So I spent a lot of time with Bobby and Bobby worked really hard. And we spent a lot of late nights in the warehouse assessing inventory, loading trucks, receiving customers after hours, building out recycling streams, learning how to make mill packages, and for me, how to market it. And so I was really lucky to get that type of exposure. And I really don't think you get that, types of, that type of hands-on learning at a larger processor you know, dealer. And for me, Bobby really took an interest in in my well-being and my professional development because I was willing to put in the work and it was reciprocated.
0: I think that's awesome. And I agree. You definitely do not get that kind of apprenticeship experience too often. So that's really neat that you got that there. So could you tell me a little bit about Merrillville Metal Recycling? How did you get the idea to start that a couple of years ago? And Right. Then, what was it like starting up?
1: It was, um, you know, I, going back to my time in main scrap metal. The the thing that I'm most grateful for is the lesson of hard work. You know, being an owner operator and. You know, anyone can say what they want about Bobby Katz and the business, but Bobby Katz worked hard. And that's really what I learned. I learned how to work hard. I learned how to, you know, to really have that type of perspective and doing whatever it took to be successful within my means. And really, I, I think it all started with naivety of like, of most entrepreneurs, you come up with a business idea and you start jotting it down and you come up with a business plan and, and you, you think, and you look at others as this comparative analysis and you say, well, if they did it. I, I could do it. <laughs> and that's, uh, and, I, and I, and I think that there's like this false sense of, of certainty but I, but I knew that I could do it. And I just think I was probably, you know, young and ambitious. And, and I, was, I was willing to do whatever I needed to do to, to execute this. And so there was a lot that I could, you know, learn from. And I took a lot from Main Scrap Metal and, a, and, and, and took what I really liked about that organization, what I disliked. And I applied that to my business plan, and so I underwrote it. Um, you know, I I wrote a business plan. I, I raised capital. I I bought a site. I rezoned the property. Uh, we built this facility from the ground up, and all within about less than a year. And so, for me, I think a lot of a lot of companies have this, or or really, you know, generational companies in the scrap metal business, they have this modus operandi of, we've always done it this way, right? This is the way we do things. You know, and and there's a lot of inefficiencies within within the scrap metal recycling business. And so I kind of looked at that, and I thought there was just, better way to do things you know really I wanted to move away from that old school mentality and really focus on transparency customer service technology and innovation and I believe that there is a better way to do things and which might require greater upfront capital but that investment in the long term is what differentiated me in my market because I'm viewed as a best-in-class operator I have a state-of-the-art facility. It's all capped. I have the best equipment. I have, you know, I have throughput on my on my non-ferrous. I developed a niche for myself. And so I think when I went out to do this, I just, I thought that there was a need for the market uh, and which has been proven. And I thought that there was a better way to do things.
0: Got it. I guess looking back at your first year in business as Merrillville Metal Recycling, what were some of the challenges you encountered and how did you overcome those? And is there anything you would have done differently if you could get a restart besides cancel the pandemic, of course?
1: <laughs> Megan, that's a great question. Uh, you know what? I really wouldn't change anything because the first day we, we opened up, we, we were supposed to have a ribbon cutting ceremony and uh, the trade groups that we arranged with this actually canceled it. And so uh, we opened up at the height of the pandemic, when, every, when basically economic activity came to a standstill for three months. And your first initial reaction is fear. You know, what did I get myself into? But I really believe that it was a character building exercise of just learning to show up. Learning to show up, do the right things, and, and, and finding opportunity and how to, be, how to become efficient. And really what a lot of my mentors and friends in the business said, is, if you can make it through this and you, could, and you can add some wherewithal, you'll make it through the ebbs and flows of, of the different cycles throughout the 10 year of, of, of your career. and I tr- And I believe that to be true. And so actually we invested more in equipment. We probably spent about half a million bucks that wasn't originally slated for 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 equipment purchases or investment in capex. And we went out and we bought a material handler because because the Ferris was coming, and you have to adapt your market. I thought originally we were going to do you know pretty much be a non-Ferris processor. It's pretty split, you know. We 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 do about sixty percent non-Ferris and forty percent Ferris, and so you're going out there and you're saying, well, wait a minute, I, I need to add this piece to the puzzle to support my operation. So next thing you know, you're buying a skid steer, you're buying a material handler, um, you're buying more processing equipment that's that's accompanied with those. And I would say is just to double down, you now double down on your efforts, know that this is gonna pay dividends and that it's gonna Playoff, it's going to pay forward in the long haul. This is a long term investment. The so commodities business, you need to have foresight. And so I knew that it may be uncomfortable to have this, this amount of cash out right now, but the volume will come if I do the right things, if I, if I have the right equipment, if I could create those efficiencies to be competitive within the market. So, yeah, even during the construction process, I thought that we had all of our you know, capital commitments secured and we actually had investors reneging and had and some redemptions. And so that, that's obviously added pressure. You have to go back out there. You have to continue your roadshow to fill that funding gap and make it work. The one thing I'll, I'll say that I did too during this and is, is that I really wanted my team to buy into what we were doing. So even during the first couple months, that we were in the red, I really felt it was important to send a message in that marital Metal Recycling was a secure place to work and that we had a future. I wanted to buy into the program. So I gave everyone raises, even though we were losing money. But I think those things too, uh, of being a leader and, and, and doubling down, it was really important for me to keep morale high. Because if I kept morale high, means that they bought into the program it means they they found their work worthwhile and that led to production that led to better quality product and kind of like a sigma six you know your costs go down when you make a better quality product and so and that's something i really believe in and and also too we've had a lot of turnover i mean especially now with 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 the amount of uh you know legislation that's being passed as regard to uh recovery and, and stimulus, uh, unfortunately, a lot of folks have this mentality of, you know, why would I go stand outside and, and cut metal in 21 degrees when I can sit at my house and, and collect unemployment or receive a $2,000 check? So th- those are some of the difficulties that we faced, and, and uh, but we overcame. And uh, I know how hard it is for other operators as well and that we're we're not unique right everyone's impacted by the disruption of economic activity as it relates to COVID.
0: now obviously like this last year was probably an interesting year to start up do you have any fun stories of the first year in business that you'd be willing to share
1: yeah you know it it was your first year it's an incredible learning experience you know i just remember a certain benchmark you do you, you do your first day that you do over 10 grand on the scale and you're thrilled I mean from from doing you know 13 customers to doing 50 tickets a day it's just what an unbelievable feeling you know I would say in terms of fun stories it's just it's always great to see like what comes in and how people secure their scrap and and I mean you know there's days where we, we, I had a tank that rolled in from a, a food processor, a 304 tank, and it must have weighed, you know, 45,000 pounds, and you're, and you're trying to figure out how to, how to get that tank off that low-boy low trailer. And so it, it's just like those where, where every day is different, and, and you're trying to adapt, and, and that's kind of the beauty of it, is no one day is the same. And each customer has a different story of how they generated that scrap because they participate in different parts of the economy. And it's always great to hear the stories of, you know, how it came here. You know, how did it get to your scale? You know, and uh, that's something I always appreciate is, is going out and speaking to my customers and, and uh, getting a laugh sometimes of, because sometimes it's just ridiculous. So anyways, I love the absurdity of this business. I think others do too because you're going to see things that at the yard ER that no no one else would, and it's and it's great entertainment.
0: So, what are some of your goals you have for the company, and are there any new projects you're working on currently for the new year?
1: Yeah, I, you know, really, it's you know my goal is to to grow our industrial base and our processing capabilities to bring on some more folks uh, that are upper management. To help us streamline processes and standardize them, and and would put us in a position to open up another facility organically, whether that us whether we're we're developing and, and constructing that facility ourselves or acquiring an ongoing business. And we've been, you know, actually um, have had the opportunities to under to uh, underwrite and, and look at some acquisition opportunities going into 2021. You know, some within market, some out of market, you know, other opportunities related to recycling, whether it be a tire shredding operation and even a uh, transloading transfer station um, on the East Coast. So we're looking to diversify and and, um, and, and do so appropriately with the right human capital in place. So, you know, those are the things that I'm working on and, and as well as just, you know, kind of getting my business to be steady state and growing. So always looking to do better, always looking at new opportunities and trying to find a, made- a way to make it work. And I think that there will be a lot of opportunities as there's this kind of demographic dividends where uh, owner operators are kind of aging out, 60s, 70s, late 50s, you know, next generation really doesn't want to do this, you know, they're, and which is fine, which is fine, but I think that there leaves a, a great opportunity to uh, acquire acquire others through through acquisitions and to let and pres- preserve those legacies too. So I I do think so that there's growth opportunities for, for any recycler and, and that we can do so. But one of the great things about this business as well is that there's a barrier to entry in terms of capital. It's, it's, it's capital in so that means that, you know, returns will be preserved and margins will be preserved because not anyone can go on to do this. I mean, there's proprietary knowledge by being associated in this business. So those are some of the things I'm thinking of, thinking about and, and working on.
0: Now, more generally, what would you say are some of the biggest challenges you faced in your career? Obviously, this last year seems like it was a challenging year, but yeah, were there any other challenges you faced in your career and how did you overcome those?
1: yeah i mean scrap is challenging by any means because supply chains are complicated right you have a lot of moving parts there's a lot of variables um, you're subjected to macro and micro conditions and not only that um, transportation part plays a large part in it and so transportation has been an extreme challenge i think to all recyclers especially now with COVID, but I think going back to the inception of Maryville Metal Recycling, uh, not only raising the capital, but purchasing the land, but getting it rezoned from light manufacturing to heavy industrial so it could be to receive that conditional use as a recycling station is challenging. I mean, that was really a really challenging part, you know, having to basically have a cash outlay up front on a gamble saying, well, you know what, the zoning board might, might reject it. And so that was a really challenging part, you know, managing a construction project, having cost overruns associated to it because of weather conditions. And you're all of a sudden you you have 30 or $40,000 in, in, in additional trucking fees because you have to demo the site and, and bring in, uh, crushed limestone to, to stabilize it. I mean, these are challenges. I would say too, you know, going into it, um, you know, pr- when I first opened, you know, copper hit two bucks. <laughs> you're not getting, you're not going to get the volume you need when when a three month copper contract is at three, to, uh, is at two bucks per pound. It's just not going to happen. So we, low price environment, you know, limited economic activity really plant closure so the industrial side was disrupted and and prices were not where they needed to be to to really incentivize inbound units so we so it, it was it was different you know it, it was really really challenging you know trying to come up and 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 figure out okay like what are my needs? How do I develop a a budget? You know, what is my capex? Because as New Yard, you're basically adapting to your inbound units and in the market around you, your market conditions. Like we we never planned on being a Ferris processor. I I really didn't. I kind of overlooked it. When all of a sudden you're you're buying a you know an A21 Santa Bogan, you you get you're getting a front end loader. I mean you're you know you're trying to make it work and justify it and get an ROI on it. But it's 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 really challenging, you know, being, being a new guy on the block, you're competing for, for market share, and you're doing the best that you can.
0: Now, more broadly, what would you say are the issues that the recycling industry at large is facing this year?
1: Yeah, that's a. I mean, that's a great question, too. Really, my observation is this, is that There is no normalcy in the global economy. I mean, you're having uh, disruptions to supply chains and just regular economic activity due to COVID restrictions. It is really causing um, imbalances in terms of supply and demand. Even though scrap prices on the Ferris are at eight year highs, a lot of the consuming mills year over year are having um, procurement rates uh, that are that are actually at deficits of twenty to thirty percent. So I think that that kind of says it all, right? Scrap prices are up, uh, but but just flow in general is not where it needs to be, and this is a volume based business. I also think too, just based upon what what monetary institutions. Um, have done in response to COVID in terms of low interest rates, it has really created a lot of inflation within within the base metals. I mean, even iron ore, right? So there's you, you have skyrocketing prices, which is you know creating higher inventory. You know, you know, just the value of your inventory is increasing, but at the same time, prices are really you know prices are really high uh, in terms of competing for material. So there is margin compression, but I do believe that these high prices are helping flows in general.
0: Got it. Obviously this last year you had to invest in some equipment. So are there any new technologies for the scrap industry that are exciting to you and any that you actually were able to invest in at Merrillville Metal Recycling?
1: You know what, uh, what I'm most interested in is electric powered uh, technology, whether it be material handlers, Forklifts, uh, power units. Uh, it will be interesting to see how under the Biden administration, to we'll see if there's gonna be any incentives to invest in green technology, quote unquote, and and whether or not um, you know subsidies offered would would increase investment in it. But I do believe you know the future of the scrap metal recycling industry is that we're going to all have electric vehicle. Powered semi trucks and and that our material handlers will be battery powered and and it, it will be a really cool transition and uh, I think with that too is just um, in in terms of green investment that's also going to help base metals and recycling just because of the consumption needed There's, I mean if you just look at electric vehicle electric vehicles compared to regular combustion vehicles. requires four or five times more copper so it'll be interesting too to be kind of self-supported as we make these investments in the in these assets uh it'll also help us in terms of on the demand side as well
0: got it and looking ahead where do you see scrap markets heading in this new year here and i guess how will that impact your business
1: really it's it's kind of we're kind of in an interesting state you know, we have a period of, of quantitative easing, low interest rates, bond purchases by monetary institutions, you know, feds holding rates, you know, to zero going into 2023 stoking inflation. You have a weakening dollar, which should have a net, you know, a net positive effect on commodity prices. Um, You know, we've seen the prices of all asset classes, including commodities, really increase. I mean, really look at, you know, iron ore this year, it's it's doubled in value. Um, I really think that as governments try to spend their way out of this recession, that there's gonna be a lot more fixed income, fixed investment in infrastructure. And we're already seeing this as the passing of, um, you know, these stimulus packages by, Developing nations, and that should uh, support the consumption of of raw materials, uh, you know, specifically steel and copper and aluminum. Um, but really, I think that this is, you know, this this should be positive, and uh, there should be a positive growth from it, and this should help drive flow and just the investment in in recycling because there's 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 margins to be had. That being said, I think also with the Biden administration, they will have um, more of an emphasis on a green deal or a green technology and the associated infrastructure with that. And, and you know, what we talked about is you know, like these charging stations, for example, or electric vehicle technology or battery technology, that's gonna require um, a lot more consumption of base metals. So there's going to be more on the, on the demand side. Also too, with COVID you know, there, there is disruptions on the supply side. So some of, some of the largest producers in the world in, in Chile and in, in Peru, Indonesia for, for base metals have had to you know, mothball um, operations for a little bit or have, have had to decrease production by you know, 75%, for example. And so that creates a positive effect for secondary markets because it's an available resource. Um, there's a steady supply of it. Um, but I think in general, over the next you know, five years, I, I, I do believe that we'll see where we are in the bull market. There is gonna be a broad-based recovery. Um, monetary institutions will keep interest rates low and use what, whatever type of levers that they can to really support it. And having that type of inflation should be a good thing for, um, for for commodity-based businesses in general.
0: Awesome. Well, thanks so much for joining me today, Jake, and hope to hear from you soon.
1: Thanks, Megan. All the best.